hello, fellas. What's going on? Hey. I fucking hate you. None of you can follow directions. None of that was hello. Uh, but I'm not going to let any of you get me down, and I'll tell you why, because right now we live in a post-racial America. I know I say that a lot. Um, racism is over again. Joe Biden has been made the 46th president of the United States of America. Dr. Jill Biden Esquire has been made the 46th. Well, I guess that's not true, actually. She's not an Esquire. <laughs> I'm just getting the whole thing wrong. Anyway, VP Kamala Harris and her white husband have been made the 46th vice president of the United States of America. That's definitely not true either. Um, and everything is right with the world. Uh, Donald Trump has not been seen in two weeks. He is doing the long walk and being forced to visit every McDonald's in America. I think he's foot. just filling out the paperwork to become the king of Florida is what I heard last. I don't think Florida has a king. Florida has like a sort of like a nomadic system, like the Khan of Mongolia. John, again, as our white correspondent, how are you feeling now that we have another black president? Oh, just wonderful. I just can't believe that he's citing so many executive orders that do so much benefit for the rest of humankind. It's amazing what he can do. It really is. And I think it's very easy to look at these executive orders as him getting things done. I look at them as him getting things not done. Most of them revolve around rolling back things that the Trump administration did, you know, following through on the promises of like getting us back into the Paris Accord, back into the World Health Organization. You know, these things that Trump did, people took as signs of Trump pulling America out of his position as leader on the world stage. Now, of course, America is leading the world on a different stage, the coronavirus stage. So this pivot back to normalcy is being tinged with a little bit of a mucusy tint. Well, the, the thing is, is like, you know, he's signing the the bill where he wants um kids to go back to school in 100 days. And meanwhile, there's there's no plan for the the creation of a system to oversee where the filters have been installed in these places. There's no plan in any of it to see how we can do distancing when we're at uh, full-time school again. Like none of that is, is being dictated. None of that is being accounted for. So it's basically the fuck them kids bill. And, you know, everyone's treating it like, oh, it's fine. And it's like, well, this is exactly the same thing that Betsy DeVos and Trump were trying to do. And yet now all of a sudden you have Fauci and Dr. Bricks coming out and saying, well, we tried to stop Trump and we didn't know where this data or this graph was coming from, but Trump put it up anyway. And it's like, well, why didn't you say that when he was doing that? Instead, now you're supposed to be a hero, but you were lying to us at the time. And hardly anybody in media or hardly everybody in little liberal circles are even talking about that. And then combine that with like the, the prison, private prison EO, which was absolutely nothing. It's it's really quite frustrating. I mean, they all do this, right? Except in Biden's case, it's very pointedly rolling back things that Trump did. And in Trump, very pointedly rolling back things that Obama was doing. And it feels like a more strict encapsulation of what we always knew was the case with the you know Republican-Democrat cycle. That we exist in a sort of ebb and flow of fascism and neoliberalism that is trending towards the far right end of that spectrum. Uh, no, I was just looking back to seeing, yeah, uh, January 22nd, 2009, uh, Obama signed an executive order to shut down Gitmo. And so, like, that also should keep in mind 
the kind of tone of these executive orders. They are a lot of rolling back what Trump did or then re-engaging things that Trump was going to allow to expire upon Biden taking office. And in that case, many of them, like the uh, the evictions executive order, are were notably inadequate at the time when, during when Trump was president and all Biden did essentially was reinstate them or extend them without providing any additional protections. And so... Uh, as well as the mundaneness of the executive orders and the the inconsequentiality of them in the long term uh, when things like uh, Gitmo or when they're more bold or ambitious, that they're just kind of, uh, hey, I hope we can do something about this rather than actually anything substantive about changing the policy in play. Isn't that the liberal motto? Hey, I hope someone will do something about this. Well, I mean, it's actually funny because I saw a new graphic come out of the Joe Biden campaign that reminds me of what, you know, Richard is saying. You know, Joe Biden is not really branded and is not even trying to be this exciting candidate. He, his appeal is actually his banality. Like he put out this whole graphic, you know, surrounding these executive orders. You might have seen it where it just lists, you know, essentially what the executive orders were, who re-engaged and Paris Accords re-engaged and, you know, X, Y and Z signed off. And it's basically how he's a man of his word and he's getting America back to those leave it to beaver values. His lack of excitement, I think, is part of his appeal, even as liberals kind of try to map more of that onto him. I was just I also wanted to mention the Paris Climate Accord, and it's not the only example, but it's one of the most kind of uh, clear. It was already well known years ago that the Paris Climate Accord was not enough. It was inadequate if they were meeting their pledges, and they've since noticed that, no, the countries aren't meeting their pledges outside of China and a couple of, a handful of others, and so not only is it inadequate, it's the measures aren't being met. And then we haven't done anything to change that if or when it's not a Democrat that supports this kind of Paris Climate Accord, that they can't just go ahead and pull back out of it. And so and if the climate doesn't work like that. You can't just keep you can't go back and forth and you just wait on the back end. It's not, it doesn't work back. Why under the Obama administration, the Obama administration actually lobbied to make sure there were no teeth or fines in the Paris Climate Accord. They were the ones who forced that hand and made sure that there were no penalties. Go ahead, Adair. Right. So it's not actually designed and it never was designed to actually combat climate change in any serious manner. Right. It's only been around to pacify really large populations of most Western countries who don't have enough of an understanding about science in general to have an informed opinion on what their government is doing with climate change. Right. On top of that, you still have, we still have to come to grips with the fact that the U.S. is run by oil companies for the most part. Oil companies can tell the president, you know, when to jump and how high they want him to jump, and he's going to do it. It's just the reality of the situation, right? And so the Paris Climate Accords really was just meant to pacify people who may have some kind of general understanding of what's going on with climate and how things look or... A, it sounds good to these people. It sounds intellectual enough, right? And then you get to actual scientific communities. You talk to actual climate scientists, some of whom, you know, I have friends that are, right? And you sit down and you chat with them. You're like, so what do you think about this? And they're just like, it's, we're fucked. Yeah, this we're, is after you put them out fucked. with a blanket because they've set themselves on fire. <laughs> but like, and in, in this is this was my experience, right? As when I was an undergraduate student in science, 
every class focused on climate change. My physics classes, my chemistry classes, my math classes, and I'm a mathematician and physicist, and a lot of my time was spent in math and physics classes talking about climate change and what we can do as scientists and what the new data is saying and what we should know going into the like so, climate change is dominating a lot of the scientific community right now and for good reason because we are hurtling towards extinction on a global level and the reality of the situation is and i don't want to make i don't want to be the big pessimist on the show right um the reality is nothing's going to change that without fundamentally dismantling the United States of America. Nothing is going to change Four or five generations from now. Kids are going to be fighting in the street for water. Like that's where we're at and people aren't going to care. Um, and also in more like in more immediate times, parts of the Marshall islands are completely disappearing under high tide. You've got other parts of other islands in the South Pacific, that are going to be gone within the next, you know, 10, 20 years, I think it was. I'd have to double check that figure. You know, like we're looking at rapidly in a rapidly changing climate and a lot of people dying really, really quickly, really, really soon. And an un unprecedented refugee crisis. And it's putting us in a situation where I think another global pandemic is is, is rife to come about. Like Adair said, we know a lot of these things. Executive orders in Paris accord inclusive are symbolic right they're meant to be touted out as things oh look you see joe biden is following through on his word as joe biden says and not necessarily meant to be followed through on and mapped onto like actual material changes in the material world whether you're talking about the racial equity uh executive orders or the advisements to close some of the private prisons in boulevard and horrible carceral state not what his website said continue it's like Richard said, even if, let's say, the Democrats came into office and they were doing more of these material things, let's say the Paris Accord was actually a meaningful step in the right direction in terms of solving the climate crisis, it still wouldn't work because it's more or less accepted that we have to ebb and flow between Republicans and Democrats, right? And so we're incapable of any long-term planning because we are trapped into this sort of a cycle of even forgetting the fact that the Democrats largely just want to put forth these symbolic metrics for why they should be voted for and what they should be held accountable for. So until we break out of that system, we can only make so much progress before it just gets entirely rolled back or dismantled by the next Republican president. But that's, you know, of course, treated like the height of practicality because we're trapped in it and too many people make money from it. Well, and it leaves us basically in this position where the remaining opportunity or lane for these kind of centrist right wing neocon neolib all, all of this kind of umbrella group of uh, establishment politics is in foreign policy, where we saw 95 senators all agree that the uh, guy who's just selling missiles to the government should now be in charge of the people who use the missiles. <laughs> this is uh, so asinine. And this is demonstrably a step backwards from where Obama tried to deliberately and specifically try to tame somewhat the revolving door between lobbying and and government and like in this case going from the military to lobbying back right into government like right into government like he the transition was almost seamless so that even when you get something like oh biden's uh you know take revoking the keystone pipeline which we find out is probably because he thinks that there's a better opportunity with you know uh 
Venezuela and pumping and like abandoning the concept of democracy to save democracy. <laughs> That's the problem that when we allow the Democrats and Republicans and their aligned media apparatuses to exist on these different layers of rhetorical reality where they're never really held to account for what they promise or say because this ebb and flow where democrats are and republicans actively exist in opposition and these new administrations come in and just symbolically roll back everything the last person uh did is just based upon you know these caricatures that the opposing party is allowed to paint up the other party so like yeah fucking trump comes in and he rolls back everything not that fucking obama real obama did but like cartoon socialist kenyan muslim obama did right he's allowed to just go above and beyond in the eyes of his base because or you know and even the media because you know his presentation of him reacting to like this kenyan muslim or socialist obama is treated as fucking legitimate because it's the position of like the republican party and you know you can only be so mad at the elites for trying to destroy the world right and then you know joe biden gets to come in and do basically nothing but be rewarded for it because he's reacting to this big threat of like the Trump administration that he's you know a reprieve from and then you know for the next four years the republicans are going to be allowed to paint joe biden as the socialist who's being controlled in the wings by aoc and fucking uh bernie sanders and you know no the no they're, they're saying media. angela davis who else what like asada shakur um tupac <laughs> biggie uh epmd they're all controlling Joe Biden like the fucking uh, ventriloquist in Dead Silence by the creators of Saw. And, you know, they're going to be allowed to portray Joe Biden as that. And anything that he does that's not sufficiently right wing will be touted by both right wing media and also center left wing media as evidence that he's going soft on crime. You know, and they're going to put McGruff the crime dog down unless Joe Biden executes some people. And, you know, he'll do all that. Things will get worse under Joe Biden because he'll like, you know, fucking do austerity because he wants to. And because, the you know, Republic, Republicans are pressuring him to and Democrats are pressuring him to. And media is pressuring him to. And then Republicans will still be allowed to portray Joe Biden as this sort of like socialist monster that they are running against in 2024. And it'll be treated as semi-legitimate. Oh, and I just wanted to say, you said there's like running against Biden in 2024 and people are probably like, wait, what? And at least I was. And then it's like, oh, no, I guess Chris Coons actually said Biden's planning on running in 2024. So that thing about passing it off to the next generation, not quite yet. That was never going to happen. We're not even going to get those fucking Tarrant Tubman 20s. Which I'm surprised, like, I'm surprised Kamala Harris didn't take the opportunity, you know, bump into Joe Biden on stage and then let him have a dull <laughs> moment and cross your fingers. But... <laughs> I'm honestly just surprised that people are still going for that. I forgot about that. I forgot about the Harry Tubman $20 bills because that was like such a relic from what, you know, again, the Obama administration, that was the golden age of neoliberal identity politics. Like, yeah, we're going to put Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. Okay, I guess. And then like, it just never happened and no one really cared about it. And now they're just like, what a weird thing to revive. It's like his speech impediment. It's not a weird thing to revive so much as it's a strategic thing to revive because they're not giving out $2,000 checks like they promised, right? It's really insulting is what it ends up being because they said, you know, if you deliver Georgia. 2000 next day. If, we're, if black voters come out in Georgia and they vote and we get the Senate, 
$2,000 checks on day one. And instead of getting $2,000 checks on day one, they just want to sit up here and be like, well, guess what? You know, not we're not going to give you $2,000 checks, black people. We'll give you Harriet Tubman on a 20 that you're not going to get because you're going to die because you can't go to work. Here's what I would say, though. If they thought that black people wanted Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill, why wasn't that in the commercials? Checkmate. <laughs> Checkmate. They know they don't want that shit. I mean, obviously, they, they know. But, like, it's always surprising the things that they promise people are never the things that they tout that they're going to give you. And no one goes like, okay, but then you know what? If you thought that that should have been what you put in those, you know, fucking commercials to get people to vote for Asif and uh, a Warnock. It's like they know that shit wouldn't get nobody to vote for them. It's like they need to promise some money, which is dangerously close to buying votes. Like, I mean, which I think was kind of glossed over just because of how it was presented and basically vote for me, get paid, and then they're not even going to deliver. I don't think that's even close to buying votes, but I think it's good politics in all honesty. If Democrats were willing to do something like that more often, say, guess what? You deliver the Senate. You get these guys the fuck out of here. They're the only thing sitting between you and monthly $2,000 checks until the end of the pandemic. People are going to fucking vote for them. That was Yang. It's really simple political calculus. Democrats came out and said, we will improve your, directly improve your material conditions. Just get rid of these guys. We delivered on our end, and now Dems are like, uh, it's $1,400 in the next 60 days pending negotiations, which means it'll probably end up being like maybe $300 if in that. April. We'll just send you some gold stickers. Literally nothing preventing them from just doing a standalone bill for a $2,000 check right now today, yep. passing it from the House. Oh, oh no, they got to do that impeachment. It's like the House doesn't have to worry about that. The House can do it right now. I know. <laughs> no, no, that's that's the excuse they're using, though. They're they're trying to focus on impeachment. It, it's crazy because, like, the, the back in the day, the Democrats used to say, not only are we going to give you schools and roads and everything else, but we're going to tax the fuck out of your boss. And people voted for them for that. And now they can't even deliver that. Well, I mean, they're reneging on everything. Now we might not even see the $1,400, right? Because now Joe Biden is coming out and he's saying he's willing to negotiate on, like, the threshold and means testing. And since we know that we're not allowed to means test on the back end by taxing rich people more, we know that means that they're going to try to roll out some incredibly complex mechanism to give people less money who need it. Yep. And not only is it going to take longer to roll out, so ensuring that it takes them longer to get less money, but... I saw Joe Biden talking about how we're going to be dealing with the aftermath of COVID-19 until the fall. And I'm like, no, I think then Joe Biden's entire administration is going to be defined by COVID-19. Yes. Both the actual pandemic still ravaging the country throughout the next four years and also the economic consequences. And, you know, to continue to roll out these like 100 day timelines and, you know, by spring, we're going to be well on the way to herd immunity, I think is a sign of a lack of seriousness that a toss up, whether it's a lack of seriousness internal to the government, actually not knowing how long it's going to take to rebuild this country or just a lack of seriousness on the government's part with feeling that it's important to inform its citizens so that it can plan longer than the next few months ahead because then it might demand that the government provide support for longer than the next few months. I think it's worse than that, actually. I think it's worse than that because I think it's like the, the Fauci and Bricks story that I was saying earlier speaks to the fact that they know they know how bad it is, they know how bad it's going to get, and they're not telling you because they don't want people to do anything about it right now. So... They're creating even more of an environment that's going to allow QAnon, right, and shit like that to thrive even more so. As soon as Joe Biden came out and was like, I want to open up schools in 100 days, mind you, he said that has provided no guidance to states on what reopening could or should look like. 
Fun fact, that's because there should be no guidance because it should fucking stay closed. Like, that's just what needs to happen, but it's not. Props to Chicago's Teachers Union for forcing that hand, by the way. And so now everybody's sitting out here, you know, if you look at L.A., you know, the uh, I think it was uh, California's Governor Gavin Newsom was just like, oh, yeah, by the way, no more stay at home orders. We're going to open up the schools because that's what the president wants. Right. Which he wouldn't have done under Trump. Had it been the Trump administration saying we want to open schools in the next hundred days. Every Democratic governor in the U.S. would have been like, no, 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 can't do that, can't do that. No, that's not following science, right? And it's true, right? Like It ends up being an arbitrary lockdown if the only reason why you're doing it is political. Well, uh, well not because Rhode you're Island actually trying to help there. I mean, Gino opened up when Trump was saying open up schools and open up uh, restaurants. And part of the reason for that was because, like we talked about, the, the federal government wasn't providing any relief economically for the lost income. So Rhode Island was operating at a budget. And so she was. So let's, but also let's look at the difference between Rhode Island and Los Angeles oh, yeah. alone. And that's the point that I'm making, right? You might have smaller states in the Northeast do whatever small states in the Northeast are going to do. My point is this, is that you're going to see every Democratic governor follow suit. And it's exclusively because it's political. Yeah. And that gives credence to what these, you know, fuckwits on the right have been screaming about. Saying, oh, it's just political. The virus isn't that bad. Da, 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 da. Well, you give that you give that value. You prove that right if you just decide to arbitrarily open up because a Democrat said so. Even though the data is not there to support you reopening shit. It is bad, and it's going to be a super spreader event that kills a significant portion of the people. Dems are going to get wiped out in the midterms because they never know what the fuck. They don't do any of this kind of shit properly, right? And America is really going to continue falling deeper and deeper into its failed state status. And I don't know why people still have any any semblance of respect for the United States government. I mean, just to your point, Adair, I think that people were conditioned to believe that Joe Biden being elected coinciding with the rollout and approval of all the vaccines was going to result in a very sharp turn in, you know, the virus's impact on America, and especially in their day-to-day lives. And so, like, yeah, you're right. It becomes a political, a political issue in the sense that I think a lot of these states have economic reasons for wanting to pretend as though things are, or rather, for opening up. But they also have political reasons for wanting to pretend like things are actually getting better now that fucking Trump is not in office and a lot of the places with the vaccines and with these uh, with the impact of COVID, they're becoming at least more comfortable trying to relegate it to places that are used to bearing the brunt of impact of structural issues, essentially. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. I think they're going to be forced to either close down for sure for like, you know, a longer period of time under Joe Biden. It's going to be, you know, Republicans cue to treat it like again a witch hunt like oh trump you see he wasn't so bad by then trump will have his own new reality show or or be the call of fucking florida so he'll be saying see joe biden's doing worse than i am you know and the lack of continuity they tout themselves as have bipartisanship in these parties like it's such a joke because the disunity is going to be what keeps us in covid for the next three four years we basically pissed away the first year of our COVID response, and that's going to have an impact for the next three years. And that, for my, to me, shows like why the whole back and forth between Republicans and Democrats don't, doesn't work. Because if you can do enough damage under Republicans that are just going to have an impact for the next fucking four years, and it's not practical to, you know, do that 
to have Democrats try to clean up that mess every four years, especially since like they're not actually going to do it. And they have no interest in doing it. So they're going to be more worried about making private-public partnerships. How can we make sure the most companies make the most money out of distributing the vaccine? And then when it comes down to that last step of giving it away for free to old people, well, we just shit the bed because no one's making any money off that. Well, Republicans are going to object to everything and then campaign on Democrats not getting anything done and win. And Republicans barely wanted to even let Democrats take office. They were going to filibuster that. Yeah. And this issue with Democratic Party being unable to whip their few, you know, black sheep mansion and Semina into shape is going to be partially their excuse for why they can't do anything. And the question of like why the entire party has to be held hostage by these two assholes is going to be answered with the typical like, well, you know, West Virginia, it'll go to a red. And isn't it better to have somebody who you can't trust than, you know, lose, I guess, in the most abstract sense of the word? Well, and I just wanted to touch back on the uh, Biden and the COVID thing. It's like we knew day one that Biden wasn't taking it seriously and wasn't going to follow the science, in my opinion. It's like because what we know the science is basically saying is in order to get this under control, you got to lock shit actually down, like actually lock shit down, shut shit down for at least, you know, six to eight weeks and then track and trace and then, you know, and go ahead and continue the vaccine deployment and then slowly and carefully open up in very carefully, uh, you know, specific places based off of the data that you're getting from the spreading community spread and so forth in that particular area. And like, but you, in order to do that, you need to have, you have to pay people to stay home and you have to essentially shut down the U.S. economy again. And they, they, what we saw was Biden made a choice that the economy took precedence over the hundred thousand or however many people that are going to die as a result of taking this course of action rather than that course of action. Well, now it's masks. You know, everyone, you know, there's a mask mandate out. It's a mask mandate on some forms of federal transportation and uh, on planes. And they're still hedging because here we are a year into the damn pandemic and we still don't have adequate production of N95 rated masks or comparable masks in the United States. So that they're still concerned that if they tell people the best way to protect yourself and the people around you is with N95s, that people will get them and then they won't be available for the health professionals where they're already still in shortages across the country. Because the hospitals aren't spending enough on procurement for them. If we look at what's going on with hospitals and stuff, LA is still overburdened. Uh, I'd have to check Seattle's numbers again, but Seattle, I'm pretty sure, is also overburdened. And Seattle is a big one because, unlike LA, to my knowledge, it serves four different states. Most, you know, quite a few of them are very fucking rural, like Montana, Wyoming, et cetera, right? So Seattle's made like major hospitals out here. Those getting full is a big fucking deal. But also, we also have to look at the fact that there's now three different strains of COVID, I believe, in the United well, States. The thing is, is the United States has been such a huge spreading dish that it allowed so many very, like, so much Actually, I think potential. there's four. Yeah. Because yeah. LA has its own mutation. There's a version that mutated in LA. There's the version that came from the UK. There's the South African version. And then there's COVID-19, you know, the standard edition, essentially, at this point, is what we have. And all four of these are going around unchecked in the United States with the UK version being particularly virulent, like it's really good at fucking spreading to the point now where there's actually been, I don't know how many people have seen it, there's a new mask uh, recommendation that I've seen floating around saying, hey, actually your best bet is probably to wear an N95 and a surgical mask on top of that or like some kind of cloth mask over it because it's... Your best bet is to cover every up. orifice. 
because in the UK version, like it is not like they're saying, hey, no, you you need to be wearing two masks. One isn't enough. Like that's where we're at. But there's not a mass. There's not some huge mass campaign to make sure everybody and their mama knows that. Right. Like when when COVID was first, when the pandemic was first happening in the US, when we were first really getting hit with it, you know, I would see a lot of things like ads in particular from like government agencies on Facebook or Twitter or whatever saying mask, you got to wear your mask, wear a regular mask, mask is going to save you. But now, you know, a new guidance is going around saying, hey, you know, we need to have two masks. And I'm not seeing the same level of advertisement. So it says one of two things to me, either you have to be in the know and know somebody who was sold, which is incredibly irresponsible. And either there, the government is fucking, they're incompetent or they're actively harmful. I, I vote actively harmful. I remember in the beginning when people were talking about flattening the curve and that shit just went away. They were, they were real, not to interrupt John, but there were weeks where we were talking about flattening the curve. We're going to flatten the curve two weeks to flatten the curve. And then that just suddenly went away partially because it became clear that Americans found it increasingly or like uniquely distasteful to have somebody tell them that they had to do literally anything that they didn't want to do. We gave up. But go ahead. Well, I was going to say is like, I think they're actively harmful. I think that, you know, you can see it because there's and even if the messages went out at this point, it has become so politicized and so uh, a topic of like either owning the the hick yokels or owning the libs. And at this point, like you're not going to convince the people who aren't wearing one to wear one, even to the point where like, you know, I've seen videos going around of people on their deathbed saying, I didn't wear a mask. I didn't think it was real. And I'm, I'm like dying now. Please wear a mask. And it's like the ones that get me are the ones that are doing that and then dying and still denying that it's real. Right. Like, and that do you mean uh, Herman Cain? <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't matter though. It should not matter no, it at all if if it's politicized, right? It, the government, the CDC, should be putting out saying, "Hey, there are now four strains of COVID in the U.S. Stay home, double up your mask if you're able." You know, I, I, at this point, yeah, I agree with you, right? I think the, I think the government's actively harmful, but I don't think. It should never have been politicized. The mask issue should never have been politicized in the first place. Of course, not. even though even though it is, my thing is the government, you know, especially the CDC, especially doctors, especially anybody, especially people like Fauci, right, who have this ridiculous cult following among well-off liberals, should be saying, yeah, yeah, you need to double up on your mask because we don't really know, to, as far as I can see, you know, if anybody. Uh, listen, if any, any of the listeners uh, that are hearing this see new information, feel free to shoot me a link on Twitter at ifuckingsuck92. Just uh, at me with it. You know, they need to be telling us because we don't really know what's going, how bad it can be. We don't know how severe necessarily the UK strain might be for people. We don't know how severe this LA strain can be for people. And if this LA strain spreads particularly easy and is also particularly dangerous, well, then we're really kind of fucked. And we again, L.A. has shut down. Like Their hospitals were full. I want to say like a week, maybe two weeks ago, they were giving out fucking, you know, notices to EMT saying, here are the requirements for you to even bother bringing somebody into the ER if they're, you know, if, we, if you don't think they're likely to survive, just let them die. Like that's where L.A. County got. And that's, again, a dim city in a dim state on the super liberal West Coast. Like, there is a problem. 
Well, and on the government response also, it's just there was the story back when Trump was president about the White House nixing a plan to distribute masks for, through USPS. It's like Joe Biden's in charge now. It's been a week. Why why aren't masks showing up? Like why why aren't, why haven't I heard about the you know for the real. universal masking program where everybody's going to get masks delivered you know weekly monthly whatever something some sort of some sort of proactive uh, way to distribute these masks and not like just use it as yet another way to embolden capitalists and get them even wealthier as they become even wealthier throughout this pandemic as people are getting put in the streets dragged into the streets by cops shoved into courtrooms full without adequate protections and without adequate spacing and all, all this shit is going on is like and yet joe biden can't even do this thing that we know we should do right like, while the judge telecommutes they're shoved into places like that it will because it takes time which is a response that people who support dems blindly have learned to you know reply to any like sort of comment that like we don't have enough time it would never be that if they were the ones fucking dying that's what drives me up the wall is like it's like well as long as you guys are the ones that have to wait and, and you know some of your friends and your family are dying from police brutality or from you know cap the fucking capitalist bullshit or any of these things like you're as long as it's your dying. but if i'm the one that's actually my i'm in mortal danger unless we change this well in that case then i can uh, support more radical changes is like well you got to at least recognize that there are millions of people in those dire straits that are in mortal danger if they don't get these changes post haste well that's the problem because they actually are in that kind of danger usually they just don't see themselves as being in that kind of danger and that's where it becomes an issue of having to drag them along for their own good which they're resentful for even because they see themselves as being part of this sort of pseudo managerial class who, despite the fact that they are living paycheck to paycheck or are in like hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt, are one day going to get from out under that and be, you know, living the good life. Because that's just something they've been promised as long as they keep their nose to the grindstone long enough. There's just a certain class of people who don't see themselves as being implicated necessarily by the concerns of the working class right because they have health insurance through their employer currently because they don't make the minimum wage currently but they are still by nature of the fact that they are working class they are going to jobs nine to five have a landlord paying their decent portion of their wages to live they are still obviously not or capitalist class but they see themselves as being on their way there Right. They see themselves as capitalists. They identify that way. And so they find themselves incurably beholden to a system that is killing them and resistant to the idea that they have more in common with the person who is trying to make $15 an hour than they do with their boss's boss's boss, who's the CEO of this company that they work at or who's a billionaire. Because to acknowledge that is to acknowledge that this hard work that they put in throughout their whole life has not actually been that much to distance themselves in the eye of capital from, you know, the everyday average janitor, right? And for some people, that means... If they make $15 an hour, that's more meaningful to the person making $25 an hour to feel like that they're above them in the social hierarchy. The difference between like $7.25 and $25 when you're the person making $25 should be nothing. When you compare it to the difference between like, you know, the $25 or like the 75 k that the average like PMC class person makes versus like the amount of money that the fucking CEO Google makes per minute. But it's just another way to segregate the working class. They just don't see themselves as having the same stakes up until the point they fall out of that sort of highly desirable but highly precarious class. And then suddenly, you know, you know what happened? Yep. You yeah, know. and then they're wondering why everybody else isn't along with right. Like, what? You know, what happened? Why isn't? Why doesn't everybody see it like I do now? And it's like, well, that's. Yeah.
then there's urgency and like, well, how come it's not urgent for everyone else now? And it's like, well, because it, it either always was urgent or it, it isn't. And that sounds silly, but it's the truth. Like, you know, either you recognize it's always urgent or you don't recognize that. And if you don't recognize that, you might one day find yourself coming to the unfortunate conclusion that it becomes very real for you that it's always urgent. Sorry, no, I was just looking up. Uh, Obama also made a promise to raise the minimum wage. And I thought that that was an important thing that you mentioned that we should talk about, too, about Joe Biden's EO for the minimum federal minimum wage, which should be like recognized as not quite how it's been sold in the media. It's like what Biden's EO did was to for federal contractors. And then in the 1.9 bill that may or may not ever come to anything, there's uh, something that says something about uh, $15 an hour. And then Democrats recently just put out a bill for $15 by 2025. And I think we all know that's grossly inadequate, and I, I'll just pass it off. Well, and also, the one good thing it does is it, it minimizes or it eliminates the sub-minimum wage. So, like, you know how, like, if you work in a restaurant, you can sometimes make, like, $2 and something? It eliminates that by law. So that's going to be removed from it before it ever makes it into the books. Um, it, it's so fucking just on point, or it just exactly what the Democrats do. Hey, look, we're doing something, but it's going to be by 2025 and be insufficient. You know, like, that's exactly what's going on. You know, the, the fact of the matter is if wages had kept up with inflation uh, or with productivity since 1960, the minimum wage would be $23. I was looking at stats about buying a Big Mac, and if you took the minimum wage in 1960 and bought a Big Mac, you could buy 2.35 Big Macs at the price of Big Macs in the 1960s, and now you can only buy 1.8 big macs with today's prices that's, but what that's that's a substantial oh, what i was going to say is what that tells you is that you know the the entire justification for e the entire economic justification that they've given you for all of this for the the type of worker was that it will eventually lower prices for everybody else like that's the justification for walmart that was the justification for offshoring that was the justification across the board for everything but again like we've gotten to the point where we've We've fallen so far and we have basically corrupted the system so much that we're not even meeting that low bar metric. Meanwhile, that low bar metric doesn't take into account like the knock on costs that you have for the environmental damage that the, any of the product does. The the incidental costs of them engineering obsolescence so that you need a new one in five years. The fact that like uh, Apple or and other tech companies purposely destroy their product after a certain period of time so that you have to buy a new one. The, the add-on effects of having to buy something and then buy an, an additional product to make it work or an update like just think about video games and DLCs that you have to buy all the time like all of that was all is not even taking into account when we're talking about the fact that prices no longer are matching to where the purchasing power was in the 1960s and yet we're supposed to be thankful that they're going to raise the minimum wage to $15 instead of $23 four years from now. I mean, they're probably not going to do that either, dude, because like that's just going to be another cudgel that they can abandon in 2024 when it, they, it's time to run against the Republican as something that's going to hold them back in the election. So, you know, we promised or some shit, but Republicans are pressuring us from the right and we'll lose that silent majority if we pay people too much money. So we'll just abandon it. Right. I mean, they set themselves up to be able to uh, essentially get out of having to follow through on some of these things. 
by making it seem as though following through would detrimentally damage their ability to win when it's re in reality even if that were the case it's only because they schedule it in such a way as and some people will tell you that this is how politics works or that this is kind of the give and take and the push and the pull and you know you got to win coalitions and so on and so forth but what's i think needs to be stressed though is that in an ideal world where this was just over kind of more petty and personal politics that didn't have substantive uh, and like catastrophic things on the line that would be fine but we have short-term deadlines that we have to meet before we're in like locking in long-term consequences that can't be undone and so while it might normally be the way things are done that is just not how we can move we can't move forward like that otherwise we're dooming it, it, so it's like we have to change things and we were ignoring so much violence I would say that's even worse to pay that lip service because if you believe that, then there's just no hope for us. Some of these liberal ideological positions on the way politics works or the way you solve certain these problems, they just simply don't work because you'll be running in circles, essentially taking one step forward and two step back for Republicans. That goes to your point, Richard. It's work. Yeah, it doesn't work to accomplish any material goals, but it works to make them feel like smart and like they're engaging in politics the right way by making these compromises and making these sort of like preemptive concessions to the, you know, for the sake of concession. But the thing is, is that versus it only, like, no, making them for the sake of getting their goals passed. But it only works for them if they're allowed to ignore the violence that the system perpetuates every day. So it only works for them if they're allowed to hide the number of bodies that are cured every day from capitalism. Just think about the homeless. Just think about black people being shot by cops. Just think about like how many people die because they don't have health care. Like all of that is violence that's perpetuated by these compromises that's completely ignored so that they can say, look, we're taking a step forward. We're going to make minimum wage fifteen dollars by 2025. But, you know. The fact of the matter is there have been numerous people who have died since the last time minimum wage was raised in the 1970s, I believe, until now as a direct result of being paid a starvation wage. And all those bodies are just not counted for. Well, I didn't see a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters really getting on Bernie for voting, supporting the Austin to into Secretary of Defense either. So it's like, I yeah. feel like basically the entirety of the U.S. left is more or less comfortable or like is accepting of the idea that, you know, people outside of the U.S. borders are going to have to die in order for me to get health care. But I'm still part of the left. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're not like <laughs> not my left and anyway, not the left that I consider. Well, I mean, that just becomes like it becomes easy to make those concessions when it's you know, shaped into the form of practicality and practicality just means different things to different people. I mean, I think to your point, Richard, it's easy when you exist in that nine to five corporate lifestyle to convince yourself that you work just hard enough to, you know, be allowed to turn your brain off at the end of the day to like avoid thinking about, like John said, the pain and suffering that even being allowed to essentially have this bullshit job in some tech hub, whether it be Seattle or San Francisco or uh, fucking New York City. Right. You know, the immense amount of people who have to make less than $15 an hour, not for you to make 25, but for your boss's boss's boss to make $89,000 an hour and convincing people that it's in their material best interest through very, very lazy economics and pseudoscience that the person who correctly views their lifestyle of $25 an hour as not being enough to really live in some of these places, they're being told that they're going to be directly materially impacted negatively by giving somebody who's also not making enough to live in these places, but is navigating that same space 
in a service role that is even beneath theirs that they're in competition with them because if you give them more money then like the cost of their lifestyle will go up you know the cost of the 25 dollar middle manager lifestyle in this place is going to go up and it's just transparently false because in reality all that's going to do is increase demand but we don't believe in demand side economics yeah i mean trillions of dollars have been spent to make sure that we don't believe in that just to your point, John, the economic rationale for why we can't raise the minimum wage has always just been a red herring. It's always about the social political ramifications of like shrinking the actual earning difference between people in the liberal centrist class, the, you know, the center right, the, you know, basically just the vice president class, people who make just enough to play Lord in New York City every weekend and after work. The idea of shrinking the distance between them and like the average the person who like brings them their beer at the bar is unacceptable because they've been told that it's unacceptable to shrink the distance between them and like the person making 89,000. Why don't we just go final thoughts right about this uh, minimum wage thing it's not going to happen no. frankly i think this is all being set up so that like in 2024 when we get up to you know joe biden uh versus hawley or ted cruz who are not going to be impeached um because the impeachment's going to probably die in the senate it's been made clear that they are not going the republicans are not going to get on board with that yeah no 45 of them said that they don't even think it's constitutional to keep doing this so there's no way you get 17 on board for uh, to get them uh, actually uh, it fully impeached and then so you don't get the majority vote where you only need 51 to bar him from politics so trump is still potential has to has the potential to be a political figure so republicans well, have to negotiate with him and on top of that we're the supreme court just tossed a case based upon the fact of corruption trump organization double dealing while he was president um based upon the fact that he's no longer president so what's the point there you know trump is only being targeted because he bucked traditional uh geopolitical uh deep state orthodoxy <laughs> i swear <laughs> to don't get any of our listeners started down that fucking rabbit hole i don't know what those words mean well one thing i've noticed that there's people that have like you know i'm pro joe biden stuff in like their bio and stuff that are like that are genuine that seem at least to be genuinely expecting some sort of accountability for yeah. these senators and for the for trump and stuff i've and seen that too yeah i've seen that too i don't know how they're going to handle that like what's going to happen when that doesn't happen Blue and we talked I think, about it so here's what i think i think that the democratic party line media is going to continue to drum up fear in the hearts of the people who are now calling for accountability because like yeah you know people are rightfully pissed at the mansion in Semina. I'm not a Democrat. If I were, I'd be pissed at them too. Because like, you know, some people really believe that this was going to be the ushering in a new age of, you know, blue wave. Uh, we're not going to go back to this Republican bullshit. And they don't really understand how central to Democrats messaging, if not to them, the people who are true believers, but to everybody else who understands what the Democratic Party is really about, how key that fear is to keeping them in line. And they're just going to have to be made aware of it. Like, you know, they're going to be made aware because once, if they keep paying attention long enough to realize that accountability is not going to happen, they'll just be opened up to the other arguments, which is that, okay, well, you know what, if you don't shut the fuck up, we're going to make Ted Cruz president. And that's just basically yeah, that's it. all they got left. And more and more people are being exposed to that level of the Democratic Party's messaging 
every year, which is that, okay, once you strip off the thin veneer of we're smart, we're following science, we're going to help the working class, you know, we're going to racial equality, gender equality. Once you get past all like, okay, well, what are you actually doing? They just look you square in their eye and say, okay, well, do you want to fucking have Trump be president again? And, you know, that's treated as like a, a reasonable response by people when in reality, like if the the lesser evil is constantly enabling the worse evil, then there is no meaningful distinction between the two because they're just one thing. But, you know, people think that I guess people consistently think that there is time within this continued process or cycle of Democrat Republican enabling to like figure out a way out of it. I've yet to hear any particularly convincing, you know, strategies because, like, you know, if you accept that we have to vote for Dems every election and you only really have four years to work within these systems because eventually they're just going to lose because they're not going to actually appeal to the people who aren't operating on the same like level of strategic thinking who are just like, OK, well, they they abandoned me and I don't want to vote for them this year. And I think what's going to like what happens is people make this realization at different times for different reasons, you know, and it's like about that the establishment either party just really doesn't give a shit about you and like the usually it's something you know something personal or some you know some it you see something that impacts you personally and you're like oh wow like now i like bernie it was bernie for a lot of folks in 2016 and it was bernie in 2020 for a lot more folks and it'll be you know no accountability for trump for some people in this next one but i think Part of that process is then, well, then once you make that realization, you're like, well, fuck, what do I do? And like you said, I think the within the liberal politics sphere, there really isn't a solution other than to get back into like just to, you know, put your head down and just keep going on, on the path that you thought was going to work before. Maybe veer slightly to the next left person in that political sphere. And find a new stand. Find yeah. a new, find a new political person to stand who is like slightly to the left of Nancy Pelosi, and then like you know project all of your hopes and dreams onto them. And then when you find out that okay, but the issue is not people, the system. Yeah, people bump into these kind of barriers where they're like, oh, you know, I get that Nancy Pelosi doesn't give a damn, but I really believe that you know uh, Ro Khanna does, or I really believe that AOC does, and it's like, well. You know, like I personally, I think AOC peaked when she was talking about, hey, they're handing out these brochures that are basically sponsored by these people that we're supposed to be against. That doesn't seem right. And they shut that down quick and justice down and all that kind of stuff. There was a messaging change there from AOC. There's people are going to bump into these barriers where they're like, OK, I, I agree that this person isn't in my interest, but I really believe that these people and this is the best way to the path or to the the, the future that I'd like to see. And. I think what we've realized is that nobody within the Democratic Party encompasses what you need to get there. And so, like, I think that's one part of it. And so, like, once they get to that point where they're like, oh, wow, this system is what's wrong and that's never going to change within with these functionaries. So we have to think about how to change the system itself without, you know, depending on individuals within that system. And that opens up a whole new branch of questions. And I think some people tend to go left in general but i think libertarianism opens up it like is has because people's instincts are so ingrained and indoctrinated through capitalism and all the individualistic aspects of the united states and so on and so forth that the kind of anarcho capital libertarianism those types of yeah, yeah like those things start to appeal to people because they're not politically engaged uh, intensely before they were just like you know i'm a demo or i'm a republican and i vote that's you know by the limit of my engagement and they they start to engage with these issues and superficially a lot of those uh, answers sound appealing 
And so I think what a lot of people are concerned about is that in the when people are making those realizations that there's something wrong with the establishment, that if you don't have a more appealing message to people that are indoctrinated with capitalism and all these types of things, that then they're going to switch over to this kind of libertarianism kind of aspect, and you're going to lose organizationally, and you're going to lose uh, like strategically and politically. And I think that there's some legitimate concern there, but I don't think that uh, the 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 prescriptions that we have available at the moment are exactly what people are looking for. And I think that that's kind of the space that we're trying to, to get filled or people want to get filled, but hasn't been filled to the, the contentment because of, in my opinion, the indoctrination, the, the, we have bad political instincts. So whatever you feel in your gut, like, Oh, you know, I, I think people should get paid more, but my $25 an hour doesn't feel as valuable. So I don't think that they should get paid 15 bucks. I think they should maybe 10, maybe 1250, you know, it's like that instinct, that feeling you have is bad and people have to in, uh, investigate and engage with why that is bad and where where we go from there and i think that's hard not only our instincts but the system is against us itself so like you're trying to organize or trying to conceive of a way in which to organize outside of the system to influence the system when all you've known is the system it's like you know the allegory of the cave kind of shit so there are mm. people and there are institutions and there are ideologies and thoughts and thinkers and writers who have put all this out there and who've paved the way before and i think a lot of what happens in america is especially that we just don't we're so incurious because everything is is fed to us through these systems and you know kind of brainwashed a little bit that we don't go looking for this stuff and i think that how to get that to become more mainstream how to get thought to become more stream and thinking in general to become more mainstream is a tough one and so you're right. And it's been actively shut down yeah. maliciously and proactively by the government multiple times. Right. And those a lot of those thinkers that I'm referring to have been killed by our government. So what do you do? And I, I we're discovering it and we're moving towards it, but it, it's it's a process. And it's scary. And I think a lot of people are are rightfully scared, concerned, worried about what the future holds. And they don't there isn't somebody that's just out there giving them the answer. And so even though people like Joe Biden or Trump or whatever libertarian or some YouTuber, even though they they can kind of identify that what they're saying is bullshit, they're at least seem confident and sincere that they're that they believe that this is the answer and so they can believe with them even if they know deep down that it's really bullshit and it allows them to go back to that quiet life they had before where they can come back from a day of work and kick their feet up and drink a beer and say well someone else has got this mm -hmm. well yeah and i mean because their day was very hard and that goes back to what richard was saying about how our political education is very you know dysfunctional because it's all rooted in basically domination and part of the issue with people making $15 an hour is that somebody who makes $25 an hour you know has to feel like they're better than that person within the hierarchy of wage labor you know a lot of people are sure that the meritocracy begins and ends with them like everyone who makes less than them you know barring a few cases in the liberal mind it does so for merit reasons right. and if they were to make as much as that person it would be devaluing them and that can't be allowed right and you know there are a lot of ways to gussy that up you know unskilled labor versus skilled labor you know uh credentialization but it's all about like how do we enforce this arbitrary hierarchy that allows us to segregate the working class 
And that's the value, right? Democrats and Republicans, like those two parties condition people to have very personal relationships with the party, very personal relationships that encourage you to supplant the ego that you don't develop properly because you're not exposed to any real empathy or any real time to develop, you know, a good sense of self with like, hey, the party's values, the party's figures, you know, party's figureheads and take personal offense at attacks against. And then we know when they're finally extricated from that system, a lot of people just develop right or wrong, incredibly personal grievances with those parties that don't necessarily make for very good political ideologies because they just hate Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, frankly, you can't necessarily blame everybody who has had such bad experiences with like government, mainstream, political and media outlets, regardless of where they end up for hating those outlets, because they have been, you know, allowed to largely abandon their responsibility for maintaining the social order and offset it to like everyday people who, hey, you know what, maybe not everyone deserves or works really hard and deserves to put their feet up, but that's not what it's about. Like, we don't have a government because we deserve to put our feet up. We have it because it's specialization. And, you know, we can't allow for Joe Biden to fucking abdicate that responsibility and slow walk in COVID relief. I would just say quickly that, like, I think if I could give people, like, a simple kind of guiding principle, I would just say I think we could focus on, like, hating billionaires less and loving people more, and that will drive both an internationalist and a holistic approach. I'm going to give you a soft maybe on that first part. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. But, you know, I'm going to continue you know, to hate can... billionaires, but I can also be internationalist because we got to work across country lines and America just is a problem.